DocuPod, the stories behind documentaries. Welcome back to DocuPod. I am Tiffany. And before we get into this interview, I want to give you the synopsis of Jawline. The film follows 16-year-old Austin Tester, a rising star in the live broadcast ecosystem, who built his following on wide-eyed optimism and teen girl lust as he tries to escape a dead-end life in rural Tennessee. And I have the director here. Liza Mandeloup is here. How you doing? I'm here. How's it going? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Yay. Thanks for having me. No problem. We have to get started with the origin story. I saw that you wanted to make a teenage love story on the backdrop of technology, and then you got introduced to this world of meet and greets. Give us a little bit of a background of this origin story. So I made a short before the feature called Fangirl, and um, I followed three fans who were going to meet the social media love of their life for the first time at a meet and greet and they were all madly in love with the same boy they were going to meet and while I was making this film I interviewed hundreds of these fangirls and they were just so obsessed with these seemingly regular guys that just broadcast them doing really normal things and I kind of became equally obsessed I was like I want to know why you're so in love with these guys and I want to know where this obsession comes from. And then once we started going to meet and greets, it was just like, it was really bizarre what we were seeing there. It was like these girls had come to the meet and greets being like, I know him really well. We're really close. We're really connected. I've just never met him in person or he just doesn't know I exist, but we have a connection. And it was just all this really weird chemistry that I kind of was like, I want to unpack this. I want to put this in a film. And I just kind of floated around the world for about a year kind of figuring out my angle and how I was going to tell this story. I mean, it's a world that takes place in the landscape of the internet and of live broadcasting and we wanted to make it really cinematic so I think I needed to figure out like okay what's the language that I'm going to be able to use to to make this feel really cinematic and have it feel like some sort of you know coming of age story but on the backdrop of technology and the internet and stuff and so I think it took us a minute to kind of figure out like how we were going to do that and then once we figured that out and then we found our main character it all started to come together it still was kind of a long process after that (laughs) (laughs) we're going to get to the whole process and the timeline of it but I love that the first film was called Fangirl because even when I think about it and I even I try to explain to my boyfriend sometimes like we'll talk about like NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys and all that stuff and it's like there was a level of fangirl there just because of I don't know chemistry hormones just how girls act but this is a different level. Like you said, these girls really think that they have this connection with this person. The weird thing is in these apps, they actually are selling the fact that it's like, you do know me and Mm. you do get my whole life and you are living my life with me and we are connected and I do love you. Mm. And so it's actually the opposite as opposed to like when like you were coming up with like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and stuff, there was so much distance between you and them. They were these like figures that played shows and, you know, were in magazines and stuff but if you went home and you were like I love him I want to be with him you'd be like but I can't find him so I'm gonna go fall in love with like you know someone that I can find or whatever (laughs) or I'm gonna go put my emotions somewhere else Mm -hmm. but like now there's a place 
in the live broadcast world were these teenage girls who feel like they're unheard and who feel like they need attention and they feel like they need to feel secure and feel loved. There's a place where they can go and they can log on and someone is there waiting for them telling them, you are beautiful and I do care and how was your day? And I think it's like playing a lot with like when you're a teenage girl, which I was at one point, you kind of feel like you're invisible. Mm -hmm. Like you feel like nobody hears you, nobody cares, you're struggling emotionally. The people in your school don't necessarily understand what you're going through. You you just kind of feel alone. Mm -hmm. And you really crave someone being like something so simple as, are you okay? Or like, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Is everything... Are you happy? And these like simple questions, like I used to fantasize about someone asking me those things. And I think that now what I realize and like a light bulb went off when I saw this was I was like, there is a market that has discovered that teenage girls need these things Mm -hmm. and they have made a business off of it. And that's what is in this film. It's so fascinating. I was even reading how when you're talking to these girls, a lot of them are talking about being bullied and being depressed and things that you speak of really just feeling invisible and just wanting to be asked, like, how are you? doing or being told you're beautiful like the insecurities that come with being a teenage girl are just absolutely ridiculous i literally had parents tell me my daughter was cutting herself and she was suicidal or she had an eating disorder and um i don't know what these boys did but she's no longer suicidal Mm -hmm. and she's no longer cutting herself and she's happy and i'm not asking any questions because something about this is working and that mystery or like that thing was like what I was kind of always on the hunt for in my film and I think that like when you make a documentary you kind of have to always feel like you have a question that is like just around the corner that you don't have the answer to you you keep asking that question asking that question and I kind of always felt like in this film like I always wanted to ask a girl why are you here Mm -hmm. like what happened to you Mm. And that never got old. And I think that that's kind of one of the things in documentary. It's a medium that takes so long to make. And just when you think, oh, we've wrapped the shoot. We don't need to shoot anymore. You realize like, you haven't even gotten the third act. <laughs> so like, I think that you have to have some sort of bigger question that could never really be answered. And I still feel like if someone tomorrow was like, oh, okay, you have to go and like make something else in that world. I still feel like there's things that I don't, I have more questions. But I think that that's beautiful for the viewers because it's not just this one layered thing. Like, you know, like you said, it's a business. Girls feel this way. These people are able to tap into that boom that's it like no it's actually layered to where they're saving girls lives it's really something that the viewer can watch and go huh how do i feel about this and i love that you presented it in that way and so like the kind of thing where after i feel like you know there's a lot of conversation Mm -hmm. but it's because everybody else is figuring out how they feel about it Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily like they're fact checking they're kind of like I'm horrified or I feel sad or that was like really funny and awkward or like it's Mm -hmm. just everyone's kind of digesting it for themselves. That's what I love about documentaries. I know. Same. (laughs) So good. You talked a little bit about how long it took to make it. And I know that when you were figuring out where you wanted to go with it, you filmed for over a year and then you met Austin, who is the main subject of this film. How long in total was the filming and also the editing? So the whole process from start to finish was about four years. 
I mean, you definitely don't start a documentary and say like, let's put a four-year timeline in the mm-hmm. calendar. You know, it's not, it's not like what your aspirations are. But I think that things just like happen, and you kind of are always like when you're in the edit and you get an idea for something that's going to make the story even better, or you realize something happened in the people's lives that you're filming that's definitely important, even though you think you're about to lock picture. The filmmaker in you is always. Like, if it will make the film better, I will go and get it. Mm-hmm. I don't care, like, that my schedule doesn't permit it or that we said goodbye last time as though we were never coming back or <laughs> the budget's running out. Like, you are just like, we've come this far to make the best film we can make. If you tell me that this one scene might make the film better, I'm going to go get it. Exactly. And I think that that thing just kind of keeps happening until you're really like, no, this is for real picture <laughs> locked. Like, we got the ending. And, like, it's all about when that, like, ending comes in. Mm-hmm. When you, like, know it's over and it's so instinctual when you know you have that ending Mm -hmm. that's when you have this like sort of oh my god we got the ending I mean I love documentary because it's messy Mm -hmm. and you're not in control all the time and filmmaking and art in general is like kind of about control and creating your vision the way you want it to be but you're working with a medium that you're just not in control of some things Mm -hmm. it's someone else's life and it's also a person that's not an actor so they're going to do things when they want to do it and I think that sometimes the time happens in documentary because you're giving yourself to the project in a way where it's like it will take as long as it needs to take for the story to unravel and yeah you want it to unravel in like you know a year or two (laughs) and that's the goal and everybody working on the film is kind of like making calendars for that too and but it's really cool to work with a bunch of people that like it's not like well you said it's gonna take two years and that's what you said it's like everybody is on the same page of like we're gonna do what we need to do to finish this story and everyone's kind of like a story hunter in in doc from like the producers the editor the dp and i think that's what's so cool about it it's like just when i think oh my god they're gonna kill me that i (laughs) need to go back and get this other thing and i have to go and tell the producer that it's like so there's a scene that i need to get i know i told you three shoots ago that we were wrapped i always think they're gonna chop my head off but they're always like all right tell me what day you need to leave you know it's not as bad as i think it is (laughs) no no, they're understanding because like you said they're story hunters too it's like okay if this is gonna make it better then let's do it but also knowing that gut feeling of okay this is the end i think those are two really cool things to feel because they're all feelings like okay i feel like this will make it better i feel like this is the end and i love how you talk about making documentaries is messy I, I read an interview with you and you're talking about there's all these rules to filmmaking but not with documentaries you can do it in this order that order and that's what makes it like even when you're legit production and you're fully financed and everything mm-hmm. you still always feel a little bit DIY mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I love about documentary where I'm like even when we had financing and you know everything was like on the right path and everything I still felt like I was making the film the same way that mm-hmm you know I know how to make films I think that that's like what the beauty of doc is is the fact that you can paint with like someone's life Mm -hmm. and I think that it's also about allowing yourself to not be on the clock and that's like another big thing is that the story is gonna 
tell you when you're going to get your beads. And you as a filmmaker, sometimes I find myself going to a shoot being like, all right, we're making that trip. And I know this story beat that I need to get. And it's like I show up on the first day and I'm like, you know, in my head about how I know what I need to get. And the energy is totally off. And the Mm -hmm. second I like surrender that and I'm like, oh, I know what I want to get. But I'm also like working in the space of documentary and also working with teenagers Mm -hmm. who sleep till three if they want to (laughs) on the weekend. You know, so it's like I think the second I'm like, well, I'm here for X amount of time and I have no schedule. My schedule is whatever the film needs. Mm -hmm. And you kind of just like surrender control. And that's such a crazy thing to do. Mm -hmm. Especially professionally. You're like, this is what I do for a living, but I just kind of surrender. I've had conversations before, like other directors are like, oh, I'm a planner 24-7. But when it comes to making my films, I have to let all that go. And it's so, so true. Like, yeah. You like know what you're there for, but you also like, it's funny because it's like, we'll we'll be shooting all day for something that we like kind of know we need for the film. And then you get something else that's really great. But Mm -hmm. then you're kind of like, or shooting all day, like waiting for like that thing in your head that you think you're there for, Mm -hmm. but then you get something else. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) As far as the title, at what point did the title Jawline click? Very, very, very late in the process, Mm -hmm. actually. Um, We had another working title for a really long time. And then the working title was just like always a working title. Mm -hmm. And then it was literally like time to submit to festivals. And the producer was like, um, so I'm going to bring up that title conversation (laughs) now (laughs) that we're submitting to festivals. And it just like, I think that people around me were like, well, I'll brainstorm, you know, the list and whatever. And I literally like, it just came to me. I was like, jawline, it's called jawline. It was funny because when I told the producers and the DP and stuff and the editor, like what it was called, nobody really asked for an explanation because I was so nervous. I had written this like Google Doc of like <laughs> what it what it meant and stuff. And they were like, oh, I like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Even Austin got it, which was cool. Nice. That's so, so cool. And then we got to talk about the funding. A lot of creatives listen to this podcast and that's a very popular topic. As far as the funding, you received the prestigious Sundance Documentary Fund. You were also given a CineReach grant. As far as the funding, what was that process like? I think that I had a very, I hate using the word lucky, because like filmmaking isn't like necessarily lucky. It's like people work hard and mm-hmm. they get where they need to be. But I shot the film for the year, like I said before, and then I knew I didn't want to pitch the film for partners and like funding until I had a main character. Because mm-hmm. I kind of go through this phase where like I have to convince myself this is a good film before I can convince someone else because I'm not going to spend years making a project if I don't absolutely love it. But I'm down to make a short or, you know, but I think that in order to make a feature, I have to be really, really in love with something. And so I go through this phase of convincing myself. So I was doing a lot of commercial work Mm -hmm. and branded content and I would do a commercial shoot and then like a branded content shoot and then I would go and shoot for the feature. So for that first year, I was self-financing the film because that was all I knew to do at the time I kind of I knew I needed to make this thing but I didn't know exactly what it was and I needed to figure out what it was in the very early stages of your first feature you don't necessarily have resources it's hard to get resources for a feature even when you've made a bunch so I think that if you're like self-financing a film in the beginning you're not crazy it happens a lot you just have to figure out a way to make it work and I think that it also allows you the time to figure out 
what is it that you're pitching and what's the shape of the project and then you can go in with like a stronger pitch when you actually are ready to get funding but i wouldn't recommend going in that like self-financing phase for too long yeah no <laughs> it could be tough <laughs> and it's only if you have if you have the means to do it like i had a setup to do it where i would work a job and then take like half that rate and go and put half that towards the feature and it was just kind of a temporary setup and then it was so exciting and fun when we weren't doing that and we got funding yes <laughs> you like, really appreciate I know, it <laughs> i know what it's like to do this on my dime now we're doing it on a bigger capacity like, yeah, yeah that so first cool. shoe was really fun <laughs> oh, i love that the second i knew i had a feature i was kind of like oh i should shop this around and it was pretty much one of the first meetings i took was with caviar nice. we did a string out and they saw the footage and they immediately were like we want to do this yes. And I was like, oh, okay. So is this what the doc world's all about? <laughs> and then now I like realize that that's just like not how it always works at all. Um, but it is a lot about timing. Caviar is absolutely amazing. They were incredible people to work with. And I still continue to work with them. They just totally got the film right away. I wasn't expecting like a production company to just understand yeah. the film from even just the footage stage and my explaining my vision and stuff. And they just from the beginning had so much trust in mm. This will be good. And a doc in the beginning, when you're pitching a documentary, it looks so messy. <laughs> and so I kind of like still to this day, I'm like, bless you guys yes, for, for, for just seeing that. You know, I think that they were that way the entire process, even when we had like cuts that we were like, we know it's not there yet. But like, here it is. They were just like, oh, yeah, we know it's going to get good. Mm. And I was like, do you? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> um <laughs> So they funded a lot of the project and then partnered with CineReach, which is amazing. CineReach is incredible. Mm-hmm. We submitted for a grant, but then they came on as an investor. Oh, nice. And they are just so wise. They know so many people in the field of doc and narrative, and they just kind of offer so much advice. I sometimes feel like they're investors slash therapists like I'm just like am I supposed to feel this way and they're like well many people feel this way so they're great I love them and then we got the Sundance grant Sundance grant came in at the time when we had started working on the film but didn't have necessarily anybody from like the festival side know about it or um, we didn't have any grant submissions, really. We were just working on getting the materials together. And Sundance was like the first grant we got, actually. It was the first grant we got. It was just the kind of thing where you're like, you have no idea what the life of the film is going to be when you don't partner with a distributor up front. Mm -hmm. So you're like, what is this film going to be? Is it going to get into a festival? Is it going to get distribution? We have no idea. Who's going to see this? Everyone? No one? We don't know. And like that is a really, really tough time Mm -hmm. to be in when you like you're working on a project and you have no idea what the outlet is Mm -hmm. so it's like if you're an artist and you have nowhere to show your work but you're making a lot of work it's weird so that's kind of what it felt like and then when the Sundance grant came in we were like oh okay so it was just like the perfect timing I can't explain where we were just kind of like oh like maybe people will see this movie (laughs) you know maybe people will you know it will have a festival life and stuff it was just like this glimmer of hope Mm -hmm. and then we got a grant from sf film for editing and that was amazing because 
they came in and offered like so much advice and support. I just didn't even like realize how amazing that whole program was until we got involved with it. It was like more than just a grant. Like they've like consulted us a lot and and we're here at the festival. Like they just have a lot of a lot of love. But I will say funding in general for films. Like I'm working on a new film right now. Yeah. It's piecemeal where you are like, how can I get through like you kind of were just thinking in increments where it's like, okay, how can I get through the shoot? And even if I don't have enough funding to get through the shoot, how can I get through this month I need to shoot? Making a documentary feels like you're like 21 and living like on like month to month, <laughs> yeah. trying to make rent every month sometimes where you're like, we're going to make rent this month, you know? <laughs> like That's like what it feels like. But it doesn't always feel like that. I just think that it's okay if it feels that way because mm-hmm. that's not abnormal. And it's like, well, you have to put one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And so you're just kind of like, oh, okay, cool. We got some money. And then we can, so we can keep going. We can yes. keep going. And it's always about like, can we keep going? Mm-hmm. And I think that all these things come in at such different phases where it's like the gap between when Caviar came on from when Sundance came on to Reach to then the festivals. There's so much time in between. It's crazy how all these people see things at like all these different steps. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't be like discouraged if like, Step one, all those people don't get involved because most people don't get involved in step one of documentary. Mm -hmm. They get involved when they see the edit and it doesn't look like a pile of footage, you know? (laughs) So I think that you just have to understand that there's just such a process to it and it's very specific to documentary. It's not like that in narrative necessarily. Yeah, it's a specific process, but everybody goes through it in a different way. But that's what makes it exciting. It's literally like that where even from film to film, like no two films that you'll yes. do will get financed the same way necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or it's the same thing where I've consulted like a lot of other directors and I'm like, well, you know, what was your deal? And what was your path? And everybody's making different decisions. You never feel like someone else is right and you were wrong. You're just kind of like on different journeys. Yes. And, you know, you're all kind of end up at the same place. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Speaking of ending up at the same place for upcoming screenings in Chicago on April 26th and then in Boston on April 28th, Mammoth Lakes in May. And it's going to be on Hulu in August. But don't wait until then. Go see it in Chicago and Boston as well as Mammoth and Lakes. And it'll be in theaters as well. Yeah. It, oh. yeah. We're going to do a small theatrical. See? But if you come to these couple screenings, it'll be before everybody else sees it. And that's exciting. All the screening information is going to be in the show description. So check that out. Goodness. Then we got to get to the grand question. With making this film, what did it teach you about yourself, either personally or professionally? That is such a good question. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate yeah, you really that. really know how to get them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that... As a person, I'm not the most patient person. I think I have an idea and I like want it to be done very immediately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having an idea that you feel like as an artist that you feel like is a good idea worth executing. You know, there's so many things floating around your head. Not all of those are that. But when you feel like there's one that is that you want to rush to get it done and you feel like every day it's not out in the world is a day that is terrible. Let's look at that sentence. <laughs> but but with all that being said, documentary has taught me to have an immense amount of patience because you cannot rush the process. And I think that there have been times where, like, especially the film being about technology and of, like, the zeitgeist right now, yeah. 
when we were working on this film three years ago, I felt the same way. And I was like, oh, it's got to get out right now. I realized as the process went on that I was like, it has to get out when it's ready. Like, there is no point in rushing a film if it is not done. And so you need to work on this film until it is done. And there is no other urgency other than that. If your resources allow you to keep working on it, you keep working on it. And I think that documentary just taught me to be a more patient person like in life and on a shoot Mm -hmm. and in every aspect. And I think that it's about making the work good. It's not about getting it done quickly. Mm -hmm. And we live in a time when everything is about getting things done quickly when someone hasn't seen something you've been working on for like a couple of years. They feel like, oh, like, are you even working on anything? You know, it's like you have to deliver and I think having all of that around you of like people you know posting things all the time and stuff I feel like a a little part of like working on a project for a long time is it's really difficult right now especially and I say stay strong (laughs) because it's worth it for real like I'm glad that you brought up present day and how that can affect I think that that's super important like you should try to make it happen as fast as it can happen (laughs) but like you also have to be patient while doing that Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely a balancing act don't sit over your editor's shoulder (laughs) like for too long (laughs) that is real advice give him some space (laughs) as far as Liza you can check her out on her website LizaMandeloup.com that's L-I-Z-A-M-A-N-D-E-L-U-P dot com and that link will be in the description as well anything else you want to tell the people liza and i think we covered everything i feel that was really good yay thank you thank you so much for coming by and making time and creating this film and sharing it with us thank you thanks for having me no problem and as always thank you so much for checking out this episode if you enjoyed it make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever you're listening on once again all the screenings and links are going to be in the show description and then reach out to me let me know what your favorite part was or just say hi i'm on twitter at special says and on instagram it's at special says as well